Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Shane McHugh, group wine buyer at the wonderful Goodman Restaurants in London. Coming up on today's show... Shane shows us that he's up for the crack with anyone. Arnold Schwarzenegger came in for a really late dinner one night and I was just in one of those moods where I was just in the mood for just having a bit of crack with everyone. Phil is true to his roots. As a Scotsman, I don't think I could have sounded any more Scottish. And Shane reveals a particular out-of-depth moment. Uh, And then I got a phone call from the Secret Service two days before my flight. That freaked me out. All that and so much more as we chat through Shane's wonderful story and journey to date. Shane is a natural hospitality giver and is very generous with his time and his stories in today's chat. As a result, it's a wonderful journey and a great insight as to where you can go when you have a thirst for learning coupled with humility. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So please remember to like, subscribe and review on whatever platform you're listening. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we venture into the world of restaurants. And not only that, one of my favourite brands as we combine two of my favourite things high-quality, ethically sourced beef, and wine. And we're coming down on the side of wine today as we welcome the group wine buyer of Goodman Restaurants. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show Shane McHugh. Well, thank you very much, Phil. It's lovely to be here. How are you doing? Yeah, mighty thank you. It's a, a beautiful, uh, overcast, late summer's day, as promised, in East London. Very good. Yeah, I was going to ask you where you said before we switched the microphone on that you're you're from home today. Where where do you base yourself? I just I well not just moved. I well I feel like I've just moved. That was back in March, um, and I'm kind of halfway between Leighton and Leighton Stone on the Central Line. Okay, well, cracking links then. The um, I first moved to to London. Oh God, two thousand and four, and we picked Stratford basically because of the the links. The Central Line's uh, a great line to be on. Yeah, it's it's great for me as well because my schedule is constantly changing. So I wake up in the morning and I have to be in one of five restaurants. Um, so right. it's uh, it's pretty it's it's a nice thing to have this system where I am, where I can just get anywhere pretty handy. Absolutely. Did I get the pronunciation right on your your surname, by the way? As a Scotsman, you, I don't think I could have sounded any more Scottish. You nailed it. You absolutely nailed right. it. <laughs> That's the Celtic connection. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, you absolutely yep. nailed. It. I can't. Yeah, it's it. It's fifty fifty that one. It's fifty fifty. I I do remember when I used to do competitions, like sommelier competitions, when I was younger, and I don't think there was a single competition I competed in where they got my name right. Right. Okay. There, there we are. It definitely is a Celtic thing. Then that uh, stick a mick in front of anything, and my accent starts coming back in swathes. Yeah, same as or an O, and uh, I'll go for it. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant yeah well how's uh how's life in in goodman at the moment things are looking up phil really good i think this is the first time that we've all just looked at each other and said we're finally there we're we're so close brilliant. to being there after reopening and closing five six times i think after yeah. starting an online retail business after putting everybody on furlough, I think we're really finally there. It's it's interesting this time around in terms of our business levels, because obviously you would have noticed yourself when hospitality reopened. 
it went from zero to 100 in a matter of no time because people were going yeah. out as much as they possibly could without the insurance of knowing that they'll be able to do it again soon. Whereas this time around, the bookings have been really interesting because it's been booked in a very kind of, yeah, just kind of planned out, mapped out sort of a thing. I think people are a bit more reassured that we're we're not going anywhere this time around. So we're mm. kind of, it, it took us a while to get us back to where we want to be, but we're, we're, we're just about there. Uh, the last couple of weeks in particular have been great. And then the autumn and the winter are looking good. So fingers crossed. And hopefully great. it's the same for everybody else in the industry too, because... This is, I think, if we were all to push something at the top of our list to Santa Claus last year, it was probably to know that we'll be open for the last six months of this year, and it looks like we're going to get yeah. it. And if we do, God, the difference that's going to make for us all. Yeah, and that's really encouraging as well, because you're a, a, a city centre business, and the the, the city, uh, well, city centres all over the world are, are recovering slower than non-cities. So it's really encouraging to hear that um, that your numbers are getting back to a a positive place. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's it's a it's been a really fascinating thing because obviously you know, like you said, so we're based in within the heart of the city near a bank on Old Jewry Street, and then we're also based on the Isle of Dogs and Canary Wharf. So right in kind of the middle of the two business slash financial areas uh, of the city, yeah. and. Um, I think out for those two and then our, our Zelman restaurant in Knightsbridge, the return to form on those has just been, yeah, it's been so surprising. But I think as well, we kind of forget, like we forget how massive London actually is. Like myself and yourself are in hospitality and as big as that is, it's tiny. Everybody knows everybody. But yeah. in regards like London itself, it's it's big. It's absolutely massive, but it's also kind of small in the fact that you know, we decided, I remember the first time around when we decided to reopen, it was all kind of based on people coming back to work, da da da. And then this time around, it was, uh, we found out through our regulars were so good at letting us know what was going on business wise. So that gave us such an, a good indication of when we could reopen. Mm. And I remember at one point we were told by somebody, I'm not going to name it, but they're like, oh, this particular business is coming back to 50% to offices next week. And we were like, 50%. I was like, oh, okay, well, um, let's do the numbers and, and see how it looks. And then the guy was like, no, 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 50%. So that's about two and a half thousand people. And then we were <laughs> like, right, okay. So that's that gives us a bit more of a reason. And it all the dots kind of all aligned after that. And once it happened, we just kind of went for it. So yeah, it's been yeah. a really fascinating study about kind of the different areas of London and how they've all kind of reemerged from the shambles of the last two years yeah i suppose that's the thing right the uh the, the offices are taking things as they as they see them right i mean some offices are saying to people don't worry about it yet we're not going to ask you to come into to the office as of this moment but some are just keen to crack on and and but still leave the the option for for the odd day here and there at home it's uh yeah I, it's it's really encouraging to hear that especially from the city perspective because hospitality has gone nuts since since reopening yeah as you know it's still the place that people go to for their experiences isn't it you know that that people have just been deprived of experiences and you guys have got uh well certainly what i think is a a fabulous product thank you and as i said at the at the top of the show two of my favorite things in the world so you can't go wrong (laughs) same here yeah (laughs) great well let's um let's go back to to the beginning 
Where, how did you end up getting into to hospitality in the first place? I suppose when you're the youngest of four, you definitely look up to the other three. And two out of the three were in hospitality. Okay. One of them still is. Um, he actually works at Goodman as well. Right. And uh, it's a small world. It really, yeah, it really is. It really is. Me and him have. Um, it's interesting because, as you'll find out in a minute, he was the first person to give me a shot in hospitality. We worked together, then we split up. We ran parallel, and then now since the end of 2019, we've been back together, uh, working right. at the company. So it's a it's a cool thing actually. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were working in hospitality which at the time was kind of in the middle of what was known as the Celtic Tiger, which was probably the biggest economic boom that Ireland has ever seen. And they were working in hospitality at that point, which I would safely say was peak, considering that they were working in a small hotel, not a medium-sized hotel in a small town in County Roscommon in the west of Ireland. And the business that they were doing and the money they were making and all of that kind of stuff. And when you're when you're a kid, you're like nine, 10, 11 years old and you see that happening and you see how much crack they're having and you see them making money and doing something, just doing something really, I don't know, there's something, hospitality for me is a really wholesome thing. And there was such a wholesome element to it because it was very much like a family setup where they worked. Yeah, but it's also you're, you're, you're giving, as discussed, you know, you're, you're actually giving people the opportunity to enjoy themselves and that's a very honorable thing to do i think yeah there's something about feeding someone and giving someone something to drink like nourishment there is something very symbolic about the whole thing and a kind of the hospitality bug kind of bit me and that kind of came from my parents in many ways because even though neither of them are the industry or never have been Mm. our house was always always was and still is a very social house always people swinging by, always people calling in. Like there's some, we had some days where there were people coming through that we never thought we'd see coming through the door, you know, like people that were from, you know, (laughs) a different time in mom and dad's life or my life or whoever. And just the the level of hospitality that they were able to instantly give and also anticipating their needs as well and knowing what to offer, when to offer it, all of that kind of stuff. That really kind of hit home for me. And so then you combine that with what the lads were doing, working in the hotel. So I started I started chipping away at them. And then when I was about, uh, just before I turned 14, I think, I started in my brother's hotel helping recycle glass bottles from the bars. Okay. So I remember doing my first shift there and I got 40 euros and I was as happy as a clam. And I was like, yeah, I dig this. But um, yeah, so that kind of carried on for a bit. And then my brother, who uh, Martin, who works for Goodman now, so this is kind of like the start of our journey. He went to a very big hotel opening in Clare Morris in County Mayo in the west of Ireland, which was called um, McWilliam Park Hotel. And uh, it was like, one, I think it's one of the biggest rest- hotel openings in Ireland in a very, very long time, because there is no real hotel of that level and that standard in that area. There was a couple of five-star hotels, but they were kind of more remote areas and they're more, you know, destination places, as you know. Yeah. So once the time came, uh, he asked me if I, because of, you know, the law and stuff, I was able to work some hours. So he said, why don't you, why don't you come? And I said, okay, cool. So I went, uh, I picked up where I left off, recycling bottles, stocking bars, all of that sort of thing. I was a bit of a featherhead, so he's he had to give me a couple of very stern but fair telling-offs. <laughs> bit of a featherhead i like that one i was yeah i don't know i just kind of 
there's an element i suppose it's like when you start any job where you kind of go into it and you go irish this will be handy because you look at the people that are doing it already who work to get to the point that they're at and then you say to yourself mm. oh yeah sure i'll be i'll be there in no time but uh yeah i wasn't so he um, <laughs> so i started working for him and he he trained me and kind of laid the foundations really and that went from doing seller work and then I started working in their functions and conference. We were we instantly became a big venue for weddings. So we were knocking out two, three, four weddings every week. Right. Ultimately found my way into the bar, which was something I really got into. The restaurant. So I touched I touched all points of the business in terms of um front of house. And I had five very, very happy years there. I met some lovely people. So that was kind of that was kind of the real start. And then I kind of came to the point where I was getting ready to go to college and I ended up doing um, a hospitality degree. Okay, so you had uh, you kind of had built some some experience, as you said, touched a few areas of the business. And this was enough at this point to think, yeah, this is, I'm onto something here. Yeah, definitely. At this point, we're now looking at about 2010, 2011-ish. Okay. So we're yeah. looking at a point where the recession has really hit Ireland. Right, yeah. And all of us are in a very, very difficult position. And just kind of had a long think about it. And then all of a sudden, one day, uh, Fall to Ireland, who are the hospitality board for the Republic of Ireland, announced that to get more people into hospitality, if you took any of this list of courses in any of this list of universities, your fees would be waived. So once that came up, I kind of went, that's a sign. That's something to tell me that I have yeah. to go and, you know, do this. Free education. Thanks free, very much. Free education, you know, um, save save me and save my parents uh, a substantial amount of money every single year. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So, but funny enough, I kind of around the end of my time in the hotel, got kind of got bitten by the cooking bug. Okay, and I ended up actually initially training as a chef, right? Which was a lot of fun. Met some great people. Uh, I think I went to I think is the best hospitality school in Ireland, which is the Galway Mayo Institute of Technology in right, Galway. Yep. And God Almighty, the 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 level of people they had there educating was just really something else. So I did the cooking thing. I really enjoyed it. I pretty halfway through the year kind of realized it wasn't for me and then i think it's one thing isn't it to to enjoy it but um you know that that has to be a, an absolute labor of love yeah and then i got through kind of half the year and at that point then i started taking a pastry module and i was lectured by a lady named uh, Anne flanagan kelly and she is an absolute force of nature she was yeah, she was, I think she was head pastry chef at the Ritz in Paris. Right. So, and just really, really phenomenal. And then another, and then it was another point where I kind of said, oh, maybe pastry is the thing. But then I thought for my cholesterol and my mortality, <laughs> it mightn't be the best move or whatever. So and you, I, pick, you picked wine instead, which is so much better. Well, this yeah. is the thing. So I kind of got to the end of the year and then I remember I was out for the day with my parents and... They looked at me and they said, you've been thinking about something all day. And they said, what is it? And I said, I'm thinking about making a switch, to be honest. And I said, I've already talked to some people and I'm already able to transfer into the bar and restaurant management course, which was a bar and restaurant manager's degree. So hospitality 
with, but it's in a bachelor of business. So you're getting a business degree and you're getting a hospitality degree. So right. I kind of thought that sounds cool. That opens a lot of doors it, and I'm actually working at the minute. So my work will actually reflect what I'm doing when, when I go to school. And my yeah. parents were like, do it. Absolutely. Because they said, you know, it's better that you, it's much easier when you find out at the end of the first year that you don't want to do it rather than two, three, four, or even when you've completed it. Yeah. So God, doesn't that show you the importance of, uh, of supportive parents? Oh God. Yeah. They've just, yeah, they, they've just been so carte blanche. Like uh, they, they're the most supportive, amazing people on the planet. I, and you know, they, the main thing, the only things really that they really kind of instilled in me, which was reflective on my brothers, especially the one that trained me is two things. One of them is treat people how you want to be treated and that there is absolutely no substitute for hard work. None. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, do you know, you've absolutely nailed the secret of life right there. <laughs> Those two things for me, I think are, are just two fundamentals. If you get that into your psyche, then I don't think you can ever go too far wrong. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's still with me today. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a job right now that I is a, is a dream job to say the least, but it's also been the most balanced job I've had in terms of, you know, I do my hours and I go home, I have a social life, I can do other things. But then every now and again, like a couple of, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I had two sommeliers on holiday and one came down with COVID. So I usually had five. So I was down to three. I usually have six, including myself. I was down to three. So I yeah. not, I just knocked out like an 80, 85 hour week. And I just felt that kind of adrenaline coming back from when I was younger, kind of going, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. But then I was like, no, nah, I can't do this all the time. Yeah. I th- but I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is if you if you love what you do, then you don't, when something like that happens, you don't mind chipping in. Yeah. You know, if, but if you're, if you're having to do 85 hours, every single week of your life that's not sustainable yeah yeah definitely not definitely not but um yeah. anyway we, we we jumped forward there and that was my fault i apologize no it's fine it's fine uh it's 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 all part of the journey but um i so then i switched to the course which was amazing and then i ended up actually having a wine module and i was kind of like oh this is cool so i did it and i think it was the lady delivering the course, her name is Elizabeth Fox, and she's just my hero. Like, uh, just everything about her resonated with me so much. Just the the knowledge, the confidence, the kindness, the presentation, the hospitality, and I just kind of thought, yeah, that's that's what I want to be. That's what that's who I want to be. Uh, is that um, right? So that was that the moment. Uh, that was definitely then. a start of it. I think. And then right. I did some, uh, I did some work experience, and I had to write some stuff for, you know, paperwork for my course and all that. I ended up doing uh, a placement here, working for the Cavendish Hotel on German Street in Piccadilly, uh, yep. which was uh, uh, phenomenal, uh, really phenomenal, and some work experience in Ireland. So that all was a thing and then I kind of came to the end of it. I ended up finishing my degree and having the bit of paper in my back pocket. Uh, my wine module actually was my best subject, uh, hilariously. <laughs> I just found myself really, really getting into it week after week. And it's one of those things as well where you do other coursework and as soon as it's done, you fling it. You get rid of the books, you get rid of the whole lot, you don't want to look at it again. But the wine stuff, I just remember sitting in, on a couch and just reading it. 
and just being right. like, oh, okay. And then, you know, just Googling some stuff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the the real aha moment came where it's the same thing that happens to every single one of us as soon as we finish university is even though we've done this thing for an assorted period of time, we walk out the door and we say, what am I going to do for the next 60 years? And it's kind of one yeah. of those things where you... Sobering thought, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, yeah. You just, you really have to have a think about it. And I was like, I don't want to manage bars. I kind of had a bit of... When I was at the Cavendish, they were really cool at kind of put me in the kind of supervisor slash manager's shoes and seeing what they do and all that kind of stuff. And same goes the restaurant. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm mad on either. So I had a good think about it anyway. Meanwhile, GMIT had a fantastic relationship with some uh, hospitality outlets in the United States. And they would trade staff and they would trade students uh, for like work experience. Because obviously you can go on a a J1 visa, which is much easier to get uh, when you're a student, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I had gone to them in my penultimate year but I literally, I was late. I can't remember how or why. And then I got there and then all the jobs were taken. It was so weird. It was so, it was so like, <laughs> right. it was so like post-depression war or something. I got there and they're like, oh, no more jobs, kid. Sorry, come back tomorrow. Uh, so I was like, okay, this, this, that's weird. But okay. Yeah. And then she said, um, she said, come back next year when we do this and we promise you we'll have a job. And I was like, sure, fine, whatever. And I left and I didn't think about it, but I put a note on my calendar on my phone. And then when it came up again, I was like, sure, I'll go for the crack. And I went and they were like, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah. And they said, great. And they sorted everything, paperwork, visa, everything. All I had to do was book flights and go. So I was like, mm. okay, cool. So I'm going to do this. So this was a kind of a members only uh, beach club out on Long Island, membership only, very exclusive, full of very, very lovely people. And that's where the wine thing kind of started because I had kind of, at this point, the wine thing was really starting to ramp up and I was kind of talking about it a lot more very openly and all of that kind of stuff. And what led to that was everybody that I was working with there in the club knew that I was into wine and I actually knew how to like open a bottle of wine and stuff like that. Mm. And the members used to send their wines in advance of the season. Like I remember one guy sent like 12 times 12 bottles of Camus Select Reserve Cabernet 2014. And I don't even want to imagine how much money that was. And then some others were like (laughs) sending bottles of Opus One. Other ones were sending DRC. Other ones were sending Cena Quinan. Like some of the most expensive and most rare wines ever in the world yeah and i ended up opening a good bit of them and it was kind of when i was doing all of that i kind of thought to myself now there's something here and it just it kept at me and then i started buying books i started reading i started taking in knowledge i found some uh stuff going on like any tastings or any places that were selling good wine i'd go there and i try and do all of that kind of stuff so my J1 ended anyway, and I came home. I didn't plan on coming home. I didn't plan on getting on the plane. Uh, and then I got a phone call from the Secret Service two days before my flight. That freaked me out. So I got, right. I, Go on. I, There's a story here. Uh, I, oh, it was so weird. It was like I felt like I was in one of the Jason Bourne films. It was like I was just sitting on my couch, <laughs> and it was two. It was two days before the flight, and I hadn't checked in. Right. So I was already able to check in for a week, but I hadn't checked in yet. Right. And my visa was up the day I was flying, so I had to be gone. And then I was just sitting on the couch, and then all of a sudden I get a call from a, a like a like a block number, 
and I answered it and it was like I'm such and such from United States Secret Service particularly part of immigration immigration la 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 and he said you know just to ensure that you've taken all the precautions to check in for your flight and be sure to that you're on it and I was like yeah, just just to make sure that you are leaving yeah this time. so I was like I think I should go um because <laughs> I would like to come back someday that'd be nice so I came home and it was just still in my head still in my head still in my head and I came back and I went to see Liz Fox at the university because I thought I'll get her I'll get her take on it yeah and I said um what do you think I said this sommelier thing I've never heard of it but I I might give it a crack and she said you're about as capable of as anyone I've ever taught to do it so she said to be honest she said it's a no-brainer so that's still one of the nicest and most confidence lifting things anyone's probably said to me gives you a lift at exactly the right time right I mean yeah imagine if she'd she'd have turned around and said Shane you're nuts there's no way in the world yeah, exactly. that's going to work for you. Exactly. That's, that's, a, that's a pivotal moment right there in your life. Mm, really is. Really it, is. It also shows you, the uh, again, the importance of, of, of having positive people around you who, you know, who believe in you, who, who see something in you to help you get to that, to that next level. And also your own kind of awareness of, right, who do I know who might help me get on this journey? And of course, you go back to Elizabeth because she's the you know the, the the lady who first inspired you to it, and that's that's a, I I love little things like that because that's it sounds like such a simple thing, but so many people don't ask for guidance and help. They think they've just got it nailed. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I suppose as well, I've done obviously I'm doing this, and I'm doing I've done a couple of other interviews recently because someone out there randomly decided I was interesting. So yeah. <laughs> in in that time, including yourself, thank you. Yeah. Well, that remains to be seen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> if I get past the half hour mark, I'll be doing all right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and get a call from a secret service agent saying, <laughs> right, "Time's up on the podcast now." Yeah, yeah. Go to work. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, but like, it's because of that. It's been probably the first time I've ever sat down and pieced it all together. Yeah. Because hospitality, as much as life, is just this collection of absolutely fleeting moments. But when, like, I've had to really sit down and really think about it and really think, you know, where I am. And obviously, you know, lockdown last year, everybody having the time to actually sit down and think and reflect and, you know, think about where they want to take their lives from here. Because I think, I suppose, in essence, uh, it's quite morbid, but we've all kind of had 18 months taken away from us. Um, yeah so no, no, I, I completely agree so i suppose in essence we've all decided in our minds how we're going to make sure that you know i'm i believe that we've lost the 18 months but i also believe we can make them back so yeah by being yeah. better to ourselves and each other i think we can definitely expand our lifespans and then be able to live out what we want to live out in those in that time that's been lost you know here here yeah no never a truer word said that's um that's maybe one of the most philosophical things that's been said on this show. I know, and I'm not a very philosophical guy, so um, what should I put in this coffee? Anyway. <laughs> but um, So that was an amazing confidence booster. And then I yeah, came to London yeah. and absolutely <laughs> blanked my way into a job working for Vinateca, which was so much fun. The managers there, Swedish lady named Ida and a Canadian lady named Maya, really took me under my under their wings for this short time I was there. 
Um, I learned a lot and just I just had a great time. And I suppose it was also a cool way of kind of putting out the feelers to see because it was it was wasn't quite sommelier. So it was a nice step into right. it as well. So I suppose it was a nice thing to go, you know, is this the right path? But uh, do you know, you said you blagged your way in, but I, I'm betting that half the battle here is is the fact that you you arrive to the interview or whatever, however you you got the job. Yeah, like a, a guy who is hungry to for knowledge, and you know clearly that that would have come across in the way that you would have presented yourself and 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 the way that you would have spoken about you know what was to be your your craft for the next few years yeah and i think that's for me that's half the battle a lot of the time is is just seeing the enthusiasm and energy for the 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 subject matter that the person's here for the the role for uh 100 100 it's the first thing i'm looking for today when i'm interviewing people because mm. you can you can uh, fill in the blanks right i mean if but if the passion's not there from the outset it's very difficult to fill in passion oh Without without question, because you know, especially working for our for our restaurant group, especially when looking at Goodman, there's two things that you have to have. One is knowledge, one is personality, and there's one of them I can't teach. Yeah. So yeah. that I, knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you probably you probably could teach personality. I think. There you go. There's a there's a future business idea for. You, oh probably. Jesus! I don't know about that now. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was there for a short time and then I got contacted by a lady named Laura Patry, who is the group wine buyer for the social company. And it was just such a cool, fun interview and idea. It just kind of made me go, yeah, I'll definitely do it. I met up with her. I was I was keeled over with nerves because she was right. She's one of the best sommeliers in London and has been for a long, long time. And mm. I met her and she was like, hey, I seen your CV. Let's have a chat. Tell me about some wines. I BS some wines to her. <laughs> then she said, I've got, she said, I've got this concept. I'm opening kind of a, it's like a, it's a restaurant that does small plates. So tapas style, but it's going to be heavy emphasis on wine. And I'm literally writing a bit of a dream wine list and it's going to be a shop. So, and she said, there's going to be a chance to learn. There's going to be da 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 da. And I was like, I'm in definitely 100% so all in yeah so that was my first restaurant opening which was pretty yeah that was that was pretty intense uh wasn't the most and intense what was, your, what was your job title at this point uh, so I started as a commie sommelier right and uh she just said there was an opportunity to work my way up which I did and for the time that I was there yeah I did I ended up becoming junior sommelier I obviously had planned on going further but ultimately there wasn't much movement in the company in regards positions for wine so I kind of had to look elsewhere unfortunately which is a shame because I really enjoyed working there but the time that I did work there because I spent nigh on a year and a half working with them and doing the opening and being there for that first 18 months was you know amazing I opened so much great wine I learned so much especially from her especially about service especially about I think the main thing I learned from her is definitely about relationships but not just with the people you're serving it to but with the people that make what you're serving um, oh God, I could only imagine that that would be, uh, well, nothing but a positive thing in terms of the experience that you can then yeah to to the guest. One hundred percent, because you know there's there's producers because obviously with um with our restaurant group we're very heavy on California wines as am I 
and I'm actually in a position now where when winemakers produce their new wines, they come over to the UK and they want me to be one of the first people to see them, which is uh, which is a mind bending, you know, honor and, and privilege and stuff like that. So but then to be Absolutely. able to, to go to the table and be able to tell them, yes, this vintage or this vintage. Well, I know both. I've tried both. They've told me about both. I know all the crack. And I think that was the main thing for her when it came to recommending wines and stuff like that, because she knows everyone. Yeah. She's just able to have that little bit more of a, of a, of a connection. I I suppose as well, you know, it just shows because in, in, in wine, there's this massive side in regards, mass production, you know, one size fits all, do it, done, bottle it, send it. Whereas there's some Mm. on the other side where every single year, it's it's a new child being born and every one of them is 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 completely different yeah well there's so many factors isn't there that um that affect how a, a vintage turns out but I, you know i i can only speak as a consumer and a, an avid consumer at that uh, <laughs> of wine but um i love it when i'm in a, a restaurant and somebody comes over and they can give a little bit of history as to who the winemaker is why they went into it you know all of the the kind of just the, the heritage of of the the wine that you're drinking, I think that that adds a wonderful element to to the guest experience. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, it's just it's nice to be able to tell people what's actually gone into the whole thing. Um, yeah, and I think also as well for me is to let that person know how much they appreciate that you're drinking their wine from the perspective of that harvest that they do every september october or march april may if you're upside down is their salary they have that's what they have to live off for the next 365 days so it's so important to let the guests know how chuffed the winemakers are that you're drinking their wines which i think is one of the best things about social media because that's the other side to wine as well is in terms of uh, the quote unquote business side is where, you know, an importer or a wholesaler is speaking directly to a producer. And it's just, you know, it's just it's just good news, Alan. And he's saying, oh, yeah, people are buying it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Flying off the shelves. Ha ha ha. But that's it. And <laughs> the winemaker won't know any more information, whereas I can do what I did when I woke up this morning. I picked up my phone. I Instagrammed some bottles that I served last night at our Mayfair restaurant. So the people of... I've got it here beside me. The people of Sinequinon, Familia Schroeder, Oak Farm, Domaine de Montcam, and Antonori all know that a bottle of their wine was open last night in a, a great restaurant and someone loved it. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely that's one of the awesome. most positive things, uh, especially when it comes to social media, is just to make us all feel connected because it's just one big membrane going from the start to the finish, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that, that 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 clear, deep respect that you then have for each other as well. You know, clearly that's reciprocated because you're then invited to to go and do the the, the first tasting of the year. Yeah, and if and if you ever need a plus one, you know where I am. Oh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the the list is long for that plus one. Oh no, I've got your number. There's plenty going on, Phil. Don't worry. Very good, very good. Well, there we are. It's worth starting the podcast just for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, anyway, yes. Sorry, we um, I, I literally could talk about this subject for for days on end, but we we have once again jumped yeah. forward. You were you were at um, the social company at uh, Social Tapas, and then you got the 
you wanted to kind of right there was no further movement for you there so you had to to look beyond where did you end up next i ended up going to gordon ramsay group which was one of my boxes to tick it was one of my ambitions so i went and worked at the savoy grill initially and then i afterwards became this almost kind of traveling gypsy sommelier of going between <laughs> not quite gypsy because it was the savoy grill petrus which was their one michelin star and restaurant gordon ramsay which is their three michelin star yep and uh yeah i wouldn't mind being a gypsy between those three yeah sure. that was definitely uh that was definitely um a fun part of life i think uh, in terms of the ramsay group certain people in there really brought my hospitality to the next level i think uh, I met I met a gent there who was one of the managers and I and I yeah I love him and I miss him I hope you're well if you're listening to this George his name is George Camaras uh, he was a, a Greek gent and you know sometimes you know you can be taught food knowledge you can be taught wine knowledge but he was one of the first people to really put me aside and just teach me a couple of things do you know what I mean right because he right. could because yeah. he, he could see that you know I'm I'm keen. And he can see that there's more to me than just wine. But to go from a, a casual tapas outlet serving great wine to going to fine dining where, you know, uh, a, a service doesn't pass and there's someone of note sitting at a table eating and drinking. Yeah. He was one of the first people to really pull me aside and just give me some really amazing advice. And just even during service, he just he'd pull on my waistcoat and say, "Loved what you did there." He said, "Keep doing that," or next time he'll go, "Do it that way," and see what the guest reacts like. And he was so good at that; like he really, really was. Right. And Antonio Rivera. That's, that's cool. That I like that. Yeah, it's so cool. It, it's really, really Subtle so cool. management. Yeah, big time, big time, and and. Yeah. and in terms of, because he ended up uh, doing some shifts when I went to Petrus that time, he came doing some shifts as well. And I don't know what it was. After a while, you, you're in sync with somebody, and just just we were like we were like clockwork, me and him. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed working with him so much, and just be able to work in that dining room to work for um, Antonio Rivera, who's my head sommelier. One, he was one of the first guys that showed me how how to be a good buyer, how to be a smart buyer in terms of the stuff that he bought for the restaurants, because he never bought a single bottle of wine that just sat there never did always right. had a list right. that was always moving which was such a cool thing no binins on that list oh no definitely not definitely not <laughs> yeah not been in prices anyway so yeah. <laughs> um, but uh yeah and just to, and just in terms of kind of a life experience being able to serve the type of people i served you know who gets to say that on the same table every saturday night you were serving tom jones you know, yeah. Sir Tom Jones. Yeah. Sorry, and oh, I was going to crack a joke then, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I just I, I held it in. I held it in. Something, something about being not unusual, but anyway. And just all of that kind of stuff is just is 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 such a cool thing, and I have so many great memories of just serving people there. Standout one, there was one with Tom Jones. There was another one with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Came in for a really late dinner one night. And I was just in one of those moods where I was just in the mood for just having a bit of crack with everyone. So <laughs> he ordered a really nice glass of California wine we had on the Coravan. And obviously he went for that because he was the governor of California at the time. 
And I went up to the table yep. with the wine list and I said, are you sure you want that? You don't want to be drinking that crap. I said, drink something for an Oregon or something like that. And he gave me, <laughs> he gave me his, his full Arnie get to the chopper voice. And he was like, I can't believe I'm the governor of California. He's recommending Oregon wine. And his, <laughs> his person that was with him, whether it was security or whatnot, was also Irish. And he just looked at me and went, he's, ha- he's Irish. He's having you on. And he burst out laughing. And we just had such a great laugh over it. And I was just thinking, oh, what, what a random thing. Sweaty moment there. Sweaty oh, moment. I know. Yeah, I know. I kind of, I had no fear that day. I don't know why. But um, so th- that whole experience as well was a massive confidence booster as well. Because I was working at Savoy. I was working at Petrus. And then I got to work a couple of shifts at Royal Hospital Road. Uh, working with James Lloyd. Who's, he's not human. He's like the ultimate sommelier. Like he's, <laughs> he's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. He's 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 just really, really unbelievably phenomenal and still very much underrated in London in my books. It was yeah. a massive boost to be able to work in three different restaurants, have three different wine lists and three food menus in my head at the same time and at the drop of a hat, dress appropriately, walk in and do service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a real sign of growth. No doubt. At one that you're you know you take that on with um with gusto rather than fear because you know the uh these are these are all aspirational restaurants that uh you know that that, that are known the world over especially royal hospital road of course because it still maintains its three yeah. stars but yeah I, ha- I have an experience of royal hospital roads from the wine perspective it was the f- first place that i want wanted to to save up money to and go to with my my she was my fiance at the time not my she's now my wife yeah to do a little bit of impressing but we didn't we had the money for the food we didn't have a lot of money for the wine but even then when i made that kind of clear in the early stages of the conversation the 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 wine experience that they still gave us for you know back and this is going back like 15 years ago was you know for about 40 quid for a bottle of wine as yeah. opposed to you know, hundreds of pounds that we could have spent was was no less brilliant. And I and equally critically for me, because I had had experiences in fine dining restaurants whereby you say these things and then you know you're put way down the pecking order for the rest of the service. They we still were made to feel like VIPs. We were still made to feel very special. And that to me was why why that still remains for me one of the the most amazing experiences because everything was amazing from start to finish mm. but also the kind of the realization that you if you want value for money on wine it's out there but you know go to somebody who knows what they're talking about don't just go to your local supermarket and pick out a 3.99 bottle or something that's yeah. definitely not value for money yeah definitely and those I'll call them out now those that don't do that those that don't make you feel like a VIP regardless of what you spent, those are the people that make my job 10 times harder. Because yeah. I have, I I feel really humbled and privileged anytime a guest gets so comfortable with me, they just ask me anything. And one of the things I get asked a lot is, you know, the whole wine thing in a restaurant can be quite daunting. What is the, what what, what what's the best thing to do? What should we do? And I said, I said, it's 2021. I said, any rules about wine that ever existed, throw them out the window. Because (laughs) everything about wine today is all about serving wine to people how they want it to be served and for them to be happy with it. 
if yeah. if every table like it was last night happens i'm happy i left work last night and i was as happy as a clam because i knew everybody was happy everybody drank great wine everybody had great food and had a brilliant time and that's what it's all yeah. about ultimately so all that i say to all of them and people that are listening to this right now when you sit down in a restaurant be a hundred percent honest tell them what you want tell them how much you want to spend I don't get this whole preconception about, oh, I can't tell them how much I want to spend, la, la, la. And it's this weird poker game where this sommelier guy is looking at you and seeing what kind of watch and what kind of shoes you're wearing and trying to calculate <laughs> your annual income and what color your Amex is and all of this kind of stuff. Just yeah. talk to people, connect, communicate. And if you do that, and then you, as a hospitalitarian, regardless of your title, give them the experience as if they've just bought the most expensive bottle on the list, then you're doing your job. Yeah. Then you're doing your job. But yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, ultimately it, there are so many different types of people that walk through the doors of a restaurant there. Um, that's, you know, this was kind of um, a customer experience 101 when I was uh, at, at university talking about the fact that it doesn't matter whether it's the queen I mean, it probably does matter if it's the queen. There's probably a, a few extra things that you need to do, sure. mainly around security, I would imagine. Yeah. But you know, or or someone like like me, you know, you you just treat everybody as if they are a VIP. Hundred percent. Yeah. All day. Yeah. All day. Anyway, surprise, surprise, taking you off point again. <laughs> I'm just as bad now, so I have to throw my hands up. I'm just as bad. <laughs> Um, but we're uh, yeah, so we're with Gordon Ramsay group at this point, and you you've got your head in three three spaces. Uh, yeah, was looking to go to the next level. Uh, again, not much movement, which is I I don't know. People kind of say, oh, you're dotting here and dotting there. Like I, when I was a bit younger, I'm still young technically. I was I was <laughs> I was quite aggressive in terms of my movements and stuff like that because I'm motivated and I I know what I want. So yeah. And I kind of said I wanted to kind of try as many facets of wine as possible. So Vinoteca was a very cool mix of stuff. Uh, Social Wine and Tapas was brilliant in terms of iconic labels, like kind of labels for people that are really into their wine, not just the obvious ones and some up-and-coming producers. The Ramsey Group was all about classic wines, and that was such an unbelievable education. And then I just kind of thought, where do I go next? And then I was flicking through LinkedIn one day and I came across a guy named Sean Hamilton. And we somehow managed to get in touch. And he said, I just joined um, Adam Handlin. He is uh, a chef that competed on MasterChef a few years ago. He currently has a pop-up in um, Spitterfields and is getting ready to open his own restaurant. And we're looking for wine people. And I was like, okay, cool. He said, yeah. So he said, the wine director is Kelvin McCabe and you can come and meet the two of us. And I was like, brilliant. And as soon as I heard Kelvin's name, I was like, okay, so this is interesting because Kelvin is one of the best buyers, sommeliers, all, all of the above uh, in London. And I'd heard so much about this guy and I've, I've read a lot of his wine lists and I absolutely loved the combination of smart buying and really and just really great imagination and really great thoughts in terms of food and wine pairing as that was something i was really kind of divulging at the time and mm. then yeah we had a very brief conversation and i got invited to go work for them and open this restaurant in Covent garden and i was just like yeah i was you know gung-ho let's do it uh and i ended up joining them and opening we opened frog by god i would say it's about a week from today four years ago give or take right 
give or take. Yeah. It just came into my head now, Phil. But um, right. yeah, so got in there. The restaurant opening was probably the craziest, most overwhelming, most intense thing I've ever done in my entire life. We started, the day we opened, we started work at 6 a.m. and the restaurant wasn't finished being built yet. And then the, the first customers walked to the door at half five. We knocked out 47 covers, give or take. And I went home at 4 a.m., I think. Crikey. Just, I would probably do it again tomorrow if someone asked me to. But at the same time, uh, maybe with a health warning. Yeah. <laughs> it was unbelievable. But worth, it was, it was worth all of it. Because what came from there then was working with Kelvin. And I don't think if I hadn't worked for Kelvin and I hadn't learned everything that I learned off him and what he taught me, I definitely wouldn't be where I am right now or even close to it. Right. Because he instilled the belief in me that it could happen, uh, which is there for why he was very generous with his knowledge and with his time. Anytime I asked him a question, he'd give me an answer to 10. And it was always this fantastic conversation that led from things to like treating guests to buying wines to writing a list to designing a list to relationships with suppliers dealing with stock hitting your targets all of this kind of stuff and in between there'd be loads of conversations about food and music and arsenal and stuff like that <laughs> we definitely don't want to be talking about arsenal uh no 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 um that's um that's definitely something that's off the menu yeah. Uh, for our conversations, I'd say. But um, yeah, and, and because uh, a lot of what I'd done initially was quite classic with a bit of kind of up and coming stuff there, this this experience working for Kelvin really blew the doors off for me. I think it was there where I really just kind of unshackled myself from all of this kind of classical reproach about wine and just, oh, and from there I just kind of said, I don't really care where it's from or how it's made or who makes it, just as long as it's great. Right. And as long as yeah. it's something that my guests will enjoy. So, yeah. It's, um, Do you think that comes from, you, you've kind of devoted your, this you, the part of your career to this point to kind of fast track learning really in different environments. But then you get to a, a certain point whereby you've you've got knowledge now so that allows you more to kind of, you know your own personality to come out with it as to what's going to work for you and what type of business is going to work for me going forward yeah i really i really blossomed and i really started to understand what i was all about and kind of deciding as well ultimately where i wanted to to take myself because uh, once i got to the end of the my time at adam handlin to be honest, I at that point I left because I was burned out and I needed to take yeah. some time off. So I, I took some. I call that was in twenty eighteen, and I called twenty eighteen my gap year because I because um, <laughs> I I took some time off because um, I had been working for Adam Handlin and I was getting ready to do my advanced sommelier diploma, which I I passed theory and service, but I failed tasting by a single wine. Right, and I didn't take that well. I thought I did, but I didn't. And it really hammered my confidence to the point where I was almost kind of, it almost kind of set me back a bit. So right. I kind of almost had to take the rest of 2018 to kind of look after myself a bit uh, professionally and then just kind of redevelop and learn and just decide where I wanted to go from there. So I ended up crossing paths with um, Guillaume and Chris from Antidote Wine Bar uh, in Soho. 
which is kind of like uh, the original mecca of natural wine in London. And once again, mm. it's another facet of wine that I wanted to get into. And I had a really fun experience. Um, and they were great guys and they were lovely to work for. Again, they showed me the importance of having relationships with producers because we had producers coming in all the time. Um, yeah. And that was also a really nice thing. And then, yeah, so I got to the end of 2018. I was like, okay, cool. I'm done with this. What's 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 2019 got for me? And it was so funny because as soon as I left, literally, 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 less than an hour later, I got a text from Kelvin saying, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, this is so weird. And not what are you doing is in, you know, friendly is in what are you doing? He was like, what are you doing for work? And I was like, this is so weird. So he said, listen, loads of stuff going on here. We're redeveloping Covent Garden. At this point, we had relocated to a new, sh- new site in Hoxton Square. And they were just getting ready to yeah. open the Cadogan Hotel in Chelsea with the Belmont Group. And he was like, yeah. he was like, listen, if you just want to come and work for a couple of months and work with me again for a while, I, he said, I need you. He said, even just for this, he said, you can use this to have some money coming in while you look for what you want to do ultimately. So... That's not a bad offer. It's definitely not. So I went back and yeah, I went back and I, I, I worked there and I'm so glad I did because I kind of, I think I uh, I realized going back there to work that it was then when I kind of realized how much failing that exam really knocked me because mm. uh, I remember being on the floor there and thinking I'm not the way I used to be. I'm different, but that's not a bad thing. I think I definitely redeveloped and regenerated and was looking at things in a different way and it's yeah. and i suppose as well i kind of i'd lost the mojo a small bit but then going back there to work and going back to work for kelvin and for adam again and with sean the group gm who was of he's a phenomenon really just yeah just kind of got me going again and i kind of th- and it was just nice as well to have that bit of security that they were so nice to still upon me in terms of they knew i wasn't going to do this permanently so it was my chance to really pick what i wanted to do next yeah and again all happens through um casual conversations my operations manager gordon ramsey who was actually the guy that got me into going into the other restaurants to kind of help out and such and such alex is uh obviously my brother was also working at gordon ramsey at the time uh, so that's where yep. we cross paths again. And they and then we're all friends and they were out one night socially. And he said, um, what's Shane doing? Uh, and Martin said, oh, he's um, he's back working for Adam Handlin, but he's doing it kind of casually, giving them a hand and stuff like that. But he's just looking for what he wants to do proper. He said, he, I think he wants to take a proper step up. I think he's ready for it. And Alex went, yeah, he said, um, I just joined this company and my buyer is leaving. So do you think you might be interested? And he, Martin said, yeah, he said, give him a shout. So... And it was, it was, the timing was impeccable because I think at that point, the restaurant in Chelsea was open, Covent Garden was cool, Hoxton was cool, and Kelvin was cool, most importantly. So um, yeah. once I realized he was fine, I was like, okay, great. This is the perfect time for me to go because I could have gone earlier, but I didn't because I knew that they, he, I still had work to do and there was ways I could help. And also there was just other things that just wasn't really popping out to me offer-wise. Um, mm. And then Alex said, listen, I just need some help. If you can come and help, he said, he said, I don't know if we're going to refill the buyer role. We're going to see how things go. Uh, so I said, fine, so let's do it. So I joined Goodman July of 2019. And I started out originally at their Canary Wharf restaurant. And that, and then it was just pure growth from there. I went from 
being a smelly at Canary Wharf, I was made wine buyer and group head som for Goodman in February of 2020. And then of May this year, I was made group wine buyer for all of GRH, which is the entire restaurant group of Goodman, Beast and Zellman, five sites. So yeah, in terms of picking your move, I think I, I, <laughs> I picked it pretty well. But also just to be in a place like this, to be looked after in the way that I am and to have people that believe in me that'll put their neck out for me. Helen Butland, who's our operations director, if it wasn't for her belief, I definitely wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing. Uh, I just thought she was amazing from the moment I met her. Because I I got there, there was a bit of movement going on, there was people coming, there was people going, and I kind of thought, oh God, what's going on here now? And then she was on maternity, and then she returned, and 10 minutes into our conversation, I was like, yeah, I made the right move. I should should be here. Right. And since then... She's just kind of taken me on her wing and we've just kind of uh, just kind of gone for it, really. But I kind of I kind of jumped from one position to another there. But I suppose it's just to show the the progression, the continuation and just trying to remind myself I made a good decision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. And of course, all of that was taking place to a backdrop of this little cold thing that's been doing the, the rounds. Uh, for the last 18 months yeah uh that's um that's been interesting you know last year not being able to buy anything and then this year i don't have much to buy so that's that's a weird thing but like Mm. on the other hand it's kind of helped in terms of learning the facets of the job and adapting because obviously you know i get this job as the head of wine for Goodman, I was like, great, this is going to be gangbusters. I have loads of ideas. And then exactly 49 days later, uh, I was told to go home. And um, that was a weird thing. And then when we came back, the landscape had completely changed. Everything was different. And we had to look at things in a totally in a totally different manner. And I had to come up with some ways to, to try and help the company through this. So I was like... Mm. I don't. Uh, I didn't place an order for beverage for the first nine weeks we were open. Nine weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Every right. Thursday, every Thursday, I rented an Addison Lee van and I filled it up with stock from one of the restaurants that was closed, and I transferred it to the one that was open. So right. that I was literally doing my own orders. So I was picking it up, I was bringing it there, I was putting it in, I was doing the transfers. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the way it was, man. And it was also a thing of, so we reopened Goodman Mayfair, which I had to base myself at. And I was there and I was selling all this stock that I was had from other restaurants. I wasn't listening to new, new wines because I couldn't, because we just, I could have, but I just kind of thought, you know, if there's ways we can save money, we'll, we'll save money. And, you know, the yeah. list, the list was reduced. There was wines coming, there was wines going. But it's not like the the wines that you would have been left with would have been substandard. You, you know, this is still wines that you would have just had in stock from pre-pandemic. Oh, listen, uh, yeah, it was like all the re- like all the restaurants were still full of wine when we closed because who who yeah. would have thought, right? But yeah. Yeah, 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 I was, I was, I was taking, I was taking fine wine from the other restaurants left, right, and center, and kind of filling up myself because people were coming and people were drinking it because this is what they've wanted to do for six months, so yeah so yeah so just in just in terms of that as well and it was a great education because ultimately as well i was obviously i started at canary wharf and then was doing the odd shift at city in mayfair so i didn't from a, a buyer's perspective have the best 
outlook and understanding of what people were drinking there. So the the fact that I was able to base myself at Mayfair and then do some more shifts in City just gave me a lot more confidence and definitely a lot more of a um, an understanding. And I suppose when you're putting in that kind of graft, you know, literally becoming your own supplier in many ways. I love telling tables that the wine was an issue with the supplier because the supplier was me. I found that really funny. Um, <laughs> and they did too, and they appreciated it. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that was a, a really, it's, yeah, it's been a fascinating time. Like I've, you know, it's been horrendous. Yeah, it's been absolutely horrendous for everybody. But for me on a professional front, I've learned, I've learned so much. I really have learned so yeah. much. But this is a, this is one of the 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 positives. If you want to search for positives in a in a pretty crap time, is that you know so many people have had to learn so many new things that you know it's it's not generally you learn a lot more about yourself through the times of adversity than you do when things are easy. So you know if you're still here and you're still fighting and you know your your brain is awash with new ideas, then you're exactly where you need to be. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose that's all kind of set me up for this time now of getting the rest of the year of under our belts and having a fresh year to start with from January next year, uh, yeah. which is which is brilliant because, you know, myself and Helen and everybody else in the kind of operations crew for the company, we've got loads of plans and loads of stuff that we want to do. So that's that's going to be the next step of it all, which is going to be very, very cool. Yeah, and I, and I suppose that's been un, underpinned by returning business as well. So you know, it gives you the the financial foundation again to to push forward. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 that bit of security. It's that bit of security because all you know, everything that we did between lockdowns and stuff was just to make sure that most importantly we can pay our staff and pay our bills, and that's it really. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Fantastic. Um, I actually I'd, I'd noticed that you you recently wrote an article for California Wines. Uh, obviously, having your head in that that space, it's um, it's something that you clearly care deeply about. Did the love of California wine come about, but kind of by accident, or was it um, something you were drawn to, or or how did that happen? Uh, very much a moth to a flame. Right. Obviously, massive exposure to it in the States, but obviously I knew nothing back then. Yeah. But then there was continuation from each restaurant that I worked in. But particularly when I went to the Savoy was obviously because there was a lot of American clientele in the Savoy Hotel, obviously. Yeah. I opened a lot of American wine and a lot of great American wine. And it was a bottle of 2010 Lillian Syrah from california so lillian is a wine made by a lady named maggie harrison uh who was the first uh, ever employee and assistant winemaker for sina quinan so she was making some of the most unbelievable and expensive wines in the world she's now living in oregon making her own label and this syrah is from of sina quinan's vineyards and some of her own but i remember opening that bottle in 2010 and just going yeah this is it this is it <laughs> this is the one so and from there, I just, there's something that, that draws it to me. I suppose as well, growing up, I was very fascinated and still fascinated by American culture, you know, everything to, everything from sports to music to booze to people to politics. Like when I was in, um, history was one of my best subjects in school and I was particularly interested in American politics. So yeah, and there's some 
some American relatives slash blood in my family having lived there. And yeah, I suppose all of that kind of, you know, weighs itself up. together. Yeah. And, you know, the Irish-American thing, there's always been an amazing connection and relationship there. So, yeah, I suppose if you bag all that up, there's an amazing connection between me and the wines. And like it's like California is uh, it's a fascinating, you know, wine region because obviously the bulk of the vineyards being planted, the money for that came from Gold Rush, which is why Napa and Sonoma all falls down through the fall to the Silverado Trail. And, you know, I did not know that. Yeah. And that and, and that happens. Winemaking from the mid to late 1800s absolutely booms. And then the worst possible thing that could happen to California wine, they actually do it themselves. They do prohibition for 12 years. And that happens. And then all of a sudden, the wineries are still operating, making wink, wink, quote unquote, church wine. Then World War II, then there's the Depression. Then World War II comes along. And then post-World War II, for the next 20 years or so, some producers start to come back. Some very influential people kind of start to show up like Chelichev and stuff like that. And then kind of the mid sixties is when the kind of late fifties, early sixties is when that kind of, you know, boom happens, you know, Robert Mondavi opens the first brand new winery in California when he launched his first vintage in 1966. And then you have the early seventies, Duckhorn produced their first vintage in the early 70s. Cake Bread made their first vintage in 74. And since then, it's just been absolutely rolling. And it's gone from what was back then up until kind of the late 80s, early 90s, like, you know, low alcohol, prized on acidity, really lovely wines, very different to their Bordeaux and Burgundy counterparts made from those varietals. And then obviously Mm. the 90s come... And that's very driven by critics. It's very driven by points and people's tastes start to change. So you're starting to see a lot more extraction, a lot more oak. So people people competing to have those medals put on their bottles and stuff like that. And, you know, and then you get into the 2000s and you're starting to see a surge in uh, just just something different, really. You know, there's there's yeah. there's no more grape varietals growing in California than there's ever been. You know, there's over 300 and 350 different varietals you know grown there now and it's it's interesting because it's still such a young wine region and it's also still a wine region where thankfully i think 85 to 90 percent of everything is family owned but on the other hand everything is in terms of ownership and producers a lot of it is still first generation so that's the interesting thing because we're because that's what kind of was the zenith of change in Burgundy in terms of the winemaking styles and the plethora of wines that are available. So that's going to be interesting when the kind of second generation kicked in in California. Mm. And there's a lot of new producers coming in that are just producing what they want, where they want and making great stuff. And I suppose that's yeah. to to tie all this up. That's the one thing I love about California is is freedom, is the whole that whole American gusto of, well, we've got some land here. Can we plant some vines and make some wine? Sure, we'll we'll give it a crack. We'll see how we get on. And they just do it. So I suppose when you tie it all together, that's kind of that's kind of where my, my love affair for it comes from. Yeah, you don't really know much about it, do you? The, um, <laughs> I felt like that was a test then. And uh, you definitely passed because you know a lot more than, than I do, that's for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I think you there's I think the thing about California and wine for me is is that it, it it feels to me like it's a very recent boom in knowledge terms in terms of the world are, are jumping on board now, but but for a long time it wasn't there. Uh, and that was probably driven by the fact that the the Californian wine that you could get in the supermarkets in this country was like most of the wines from around the world is the is not in the upper echelons of what you can uh, achieve if you if you really know where to go and what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the last I see I see a lot more American wine uh, and Californian wine specifically uh, on wine lists all over the place now. And quite right. So uh, because I, I think you also can get incredible value in that that place oh, because yeah. it's I su- still perceived to be I suppose an up and coming region as opposed to you know a Bordeaux or a Burgundy sure um, or, or somewhere like that but um, no it's um, a fascinating subject well certainly fascinating to me I hope it's fascinating to people who are listening as well <laughs> I hope so <laughs> which is probably a little bit more important actually but, um, <laughs> but there we are but uh, no I'm I'm eminently conscious of time and I think you've been very uh, generous with your time with us today final question before i let you get on your merry way what would you say to somebody who was considering a a career in hospitality and specifically perhaps within the world of wine regardless of creed consequence race sexual orientation what sports team you support what side of the street you walk on anybody can do it as long as you wake up every morning and tie your shoes with that will to win and that desire, you can achieve absolutely anything. I am from a very small place in the west of Ireland and I've worked my way into this position now. Wine is a much more accessible thing than it was, shall we say, 30 years ago. Yeah. It, along with hospitality, is going through a bit of a difficult time at the minute, not because of staffing, but because of the media because of things that are coming out of the woodwork about certain producers, about certain people, about all of that kind of stuff. But if you're true to people and you're true to yourself, you'll you'll get where you want to be. Here, here. And for somebody who, who claims to not be particularly philosophical, that's the second piece of philosophy you've, <laughs> you've pushed up today. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, what, what's the, it must be the coffee, as you said. Um, good, but it's good. I completely agree with you, and that point actually on the the the, the media, and I, I am also conscious of the fact that I'm quick to to lambast. Like in any facet of anything, there are people who do things well, and there are people who do not, and that's the same in the media, and it's the same in in hospitality. But it just seems like it's the ones who do things badly that always gets the press. Yes, and that was kind of why I, I wanted to start this podcast really because that's not my my experience is that that probably accounts for one percent of the industry uh, you know the other 99 percent of of the industry are people who genuinely love what they do and, and are in the the right place and are trying to do something positive but these are not the stories that get out and I think your your story is uh is one of incredible positivity and I love the kind of the reflection on your your wobble if you like mm. on the back of your exam result because I, you know that's it's a massive part of your journey as well and it's also that it, it kind of demonstrates that people's journeys are not straightforward and there's always going to be little bumps in the road and uh, and all of those sorts of things but you know if you've got a 
a clear vision about something that you're passionate about and that sits within any realm within hospitality then then come on in we uh, we are ready for you 100 percent, yeah definitely wonderful well on that that frightfully positive note i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna end it there if people <laughs> want to get a hold of you to to chew the fat or learn about you and uh, or talk about wine what's the best method for them to do that oh uh, i am on twitter at smq38 i am on instagram at corkogen crack there's a funny story behind that all right well you probably have to tell us that then before you go I don't think I should. Um, okay, it's fair a, enough. It's 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 a bit. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll I'll tell you over a pint someday. But uh, maybe very good. That's maybe. another one I've got to. All the best stories are going to be uh, over a, a pint or a glass of wine. It probably should be a glass. It should of be wine, a glass frankly. of wine. Yeah. So those and I'm very open. If there's any young people or people starting out in this industry that want help, that want advice, want anything, my email is shane at goodmanrestaurants.com. If anybody ever needs anything, just just holler and I'll help. Wonderful. That's great. Thanks very much, Shane. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and um, well, I look forward to, to catching up with you in face-to-face at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. And thanks a million for having me, Phil. I've uh, actually I've really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Take care. Thank you. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Shane for sharing his story with such openness and humour. What a natural storyteller he is. He demonstrates yet another wonderful area you can come into within hospitality, wine. We wish he and Goodman continued success. We'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday, but until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.